If you don't already know, there is a second episode of Matt's Crummy Comics Collection released exclusively on our Patreon page. And in that episode, I fanboy to a degree that you have never heard on anything at Neozaz before. That I can guarantee. I talk about Street Fighter X G.I. Joe issue number one. And if you're wondering where or why or how I fanboy over anything from that title, well, check it out for yourself at patreon.com slash neozaz. Support starts at just $1 a month, and it's what keeps everything going. To learn more, check it out, patreon.com slash neozaz. Welcome to Matt's Crummy Comics Collection. I am Matt, and this is a show where I pull one of the comics from that pile. By that pile, I mean my sizable pile of comics made up of titles that most people probably haven't heard of or forgot about or maybe don't even know existed in the first place, which I guess goes along with never heard of. I kind of repeated myself there. Anyway, this is the general release episode for May 2018. Of course, there's a second episode coming out this month exclusively released on Patreon. For more on that, well, stay tuned to the end of the show. That's where I usually talk about it. All right, this episode, I have pulled the comic Team America number one. I'm going to start right off the bat by very likely disappointing a majority of the people that have downloaded this episode because this is not a comic adaptation of the 2004 movie Team America World Police by South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone. No, this is the June 1982 release of the Marvel comic Team America. And let me tell you, they are two very different things. This Team America debuted in Captain America just one month prior to the launch of this title in May 1982 with Captain America number 269. In that issue, Captain America heads to Madison Square Garden to participate in a motorcycle show. Also in the show, the stunt performers, Team America. In that Captain America issue, as this show starts, a giant appears from a portal, not a giant something, a giant, and he kidnaps the Nobel Prize recipient, Alfred Knopfler, Captain and Team America. I just realized as I was saying that note out loud, I almost sounded like Captain and Tennille, but let's just all say the whole phrase and Captain America and Team America chase after this giant. They follow him to a town controlled by the Mad Thinker, and this town is full of android duplicates of great thinkers from throughout history. The Mad Thinker has his sights set on Captain America, but all of a sudden, this black-clad biker crashes in to free Captain America and the rest of Team America as well. Captain and Team America destroy the Mad Thinker's androids and the lab, but... When they're ready to leave and grab this mysterious black-clad biker to take him along and, and get to safety, lo and behold, this mysterious biker has disappeared. From there, we get into the title Team America and its run. Now, Team America ran just for one year, but one full year. It did 12 issues. It was a monthly comic, and it ended a month after, or I'm sorry, a year after its release in May 1983. It did return again a couple years later in September 1985, or I should say they did, because they made an appearance in The Thing number 27. Only this time they were under a new team name, and that was called the Thunder Riders. But let's talk about Team America first, because that's going way off into their history, and we've barely even scratched the surface of Team America. And spoiler alert, we're not going into the history of the Thunder Riders. We're going to stop 
at the end of this issue. But anyway, so Team America number one. Why did I buy this? Oh, pretty much for the name, hearkening back to the joke I made in the opening of this episode. I instantly saw this looking at the cover, which I'm about to describe. You knew it had nothing to do with the Team America movie. But since it had the same name and the cover is pretty interesting from a curiosity point of view, I had to check out what was going on in this comic. So let me describe the cover so you can see where I'm coming from. So the cover, it's like the, uh, I guess you'd call it a quarter of a, like a starburst pattern. It's, it's, this is actually kind of a, <laughs> if it's time, it's a, it's a kind of a, uh, aesthetic that's actually come and gone at this point, but picture a, a like, uh, a, a circle, a sun, so we'll call it a sun or a star in the middle, and then you have the, the ray bands going off, and they're alternating between the actual sun ray bands and a picture behind it. I, th- I think, I'm, I hope I'm describing this well. That's what we have here. But in this case, the ray bands, the burst, whatever you want to call it, they're solid red, and the background behind it is blue with white stars. So, kind of the American motif here. Now, since it's just a quarter of it, it's like the, it's say if the sun was in this picture, it'd be in the lower right hand corner and the radiate, the, the radiating beams, I almost said radiation, the radiating beams would be going to the top, uh, right of the corner did i say bottom left if i said if i didn't let me reiterate bottom left would be where the origin of these rays are they're going up to the top right and kind of from that corner they're 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 like a not even a third like a quarter way up the page this is where we have team america apparently and they are motorcycle riding guys they're riding dirt bikes like the lightweight dirt bikes that a stunt performing team or even a stunt rider would ride these are the kind of bikes that you would see in one of those big mesh globes like zipping around upside down and sideways and whatnot so there's there's three of them all together the one in a direct foreground he's all in red with uh well not yeah i guess all in red he's in a red jumpsuit or riding suit blue boots white stars going up the legs i think those are stars and uh, maybe not that stars we'll call them stars though i see now okay it's a white stripe with red stars so that's i had to expand the picture a little bit so going on to the next guy he's all in white with red boots blue stripe up the leg and white stars and the guy in the background he's all in blue with white boots and uh he only has a blue stripe he's blue on blue you think of oh i take it back (laughs) see again this pattern is messing with me red stripe Blue stars. I actually explained it to myself as I was complaining about it. And kind of hovering over them all, pointing in the direction that everyone is driving, is, again, assuming in the history from Captain America, the strange, mysterious writer all in black who looks almost identical to Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. In fact, there's not a whole lot different to it. The, the only thing that would kind of separate the two in a comic book picture is that there's just this little bit of a visor sticking off the helmet of this mysterious black rider. You take that off there and you might mistaken this for a snake eye spinoff of GI Joe, which is actually not a stretch of the imagination considering team America. You got the star spangled banner, red, white, and blue background. I mean, you could, I could see if that, if, if, well, maybe even actually with the visor, maybe people did mistake this as a G.I. Joe comic, except for maybe the year that it was published, I'm now realizing. I don't know. I know G.I. Joe is an 80s cartoon. I don't know if there was Marvel Comics or any brand comics in the 80s. I hadn't thought of that doing this research, so I didn't note that down. So that is going to remain a mystery. 
All right, that is about it for the cover. Uh, it is sixty cents, like I said, nineteen eighty-two. Big, big difference from five dollars or more you're paying for comics now. But sixty cents and uh, Marvel Comic Group at the top. So, all right, let's open this one up. So, there is a lot happening from the very start. The top, the very top of the page. And I mean, there is no more room on this page. It says the origin of Team America. And then in kind of a, like a lightning bolt. I don't know what you would call that. It's not a lightning bolt, but it's not a circle. It's not a thought bubble. It's, it's all jagged. It says featuring the mysterious Marauder. So that's the, uh, I'm going to guess the man in black. Cause it's, there's a little panel of him sitting there. Under underneath that, I still don't know what you call it. The, the, I'm going to call it the lightning bubble. That's probably not right, but that's what I'm going to call it. All right. So then, then we get into some story back. We get it's background story. I mean, there is more exposition on this first page than text in some comics that I've read recently. But before that, I'm going to kind of jump out of order on this page because we also have the credits. So let's get to the credits before we get into the story. So here's the credits. Team America number one, we got Jim Shooter as scripter and editor-in-chief, Mike Vosberg, penciler, Vince Coletta, anchor, Jim Novak and Jim Rosen, letters, Christy Scheel, colorist, and conceived by Ed Hannigan and Jim Shooter. So, all right, now let's get, I'm going to narrow down this exposition. In fact, I'm going to narrow down a lot of the text in this because this is, this is an 80s comic. This is when stories were written out <laughs> instead of the comics that we get now, which are three or four pages with eight words in them. And I'm not complaining. It's just a different type of storytelling. So for sake of keeping this episode somewhere in the 30-minute range, uh, I'm going to be not reciting this word for word, obviously. So, all right, back to the story. So this background is telling us that this is a team of individuals with widely diverse backgrounds that are united by an inexplicable bond, their team striving to win victory for glory for themselves and for their country. So from there, we cut to a mysterious man in black using the cover of darkness to break into a highly secure building that is called the Universal Technologies Building. That's that's the name. So he gets inside. He starts to hack into a computer terminal. And once he gets in, he accesses a file that says Operation New Genesis. Once he's got that file open, he uncovers five dossiers that are within this file. He views each of them and then erases them permanently. Now, during his escape back out from this building, a security guard actually catches a glimpse of it. Actually, yeah, I wouldn't even call it a glimpse. He straight out sees him and he triggers the alarm. So this mysterious man in black jumps on his matching black motorcycle and he races down the road and soon, well, I was going to say sooner or later, let's just say right away, the police are in hot pursuit and opening fire on him. Seems pretty extreme for an unidentified crime at this point, but nonetheless, the cops are shooting bullets at this mysterious man in black on a black motorcycle. Cop cars from the other direction come along and block his path, but not for long because he revs up his motorcycle and makes an incredibly physics-defying leap over the cars. Uh, I'll have to come back to this. There's, <laughs> there's so much I want to talk about this one drawing, but let's move on here. So from there, he heads to the riverbank and makes yet another death-defying jump over the water, out of sight, and away from the cops and the zinging bullets. 
Now we're back at the executive offices of Universal Technologies, and we meet Mr. Johnson, presumably head of security, as he reports to one, a Mr. Darwin, that this stranger has eluded his men. Mr. Johnson further explains about the five erased dossier files that were accessed by this stranger, and Mr. Darwin orders him to immediately find out who those five are and kill them. This Universal Technologies really takes breaches extreme. I mean, that's now six people in danger of their lives over this one break-in. And I realized my notes I spoke too soon because now as Mr. Johnson leaves, Darwin explains in a secret thought bubble that we are able to read that Mr. Johnson is about to meet with a fatal accident. After completing this thought, apparently, Mr. Darwin lowers down a video screen and with a Hail Hydra... Darwin greets the Supreme One. Now, it's not entirely clear if Darwin is contacting the Supreme One, but on, on rereading of my notes, I'm thinking he got the uh, call, I guess you'd say, from the Supreme One. So it's the Supreme One contacting him. I'm going to go with that because it makes the next part of the story flow a lot better than I originally was interpreting this. So what happens is that this is the Supreme Leader, let's say, is contacting Darwin to give him complete control over Operation Daytona. And what that entails primarily is the securement of Masasaki Pops Karamoto and this experimental motorcycle that he's bringing to Daytona, I'm assuming this coming weekend. That seems to be when all things that happen at Daytona, big race things happen at Daytona from my perspective. I'm in Orlando, not that close, but the ads get blasted weeks before that weekend happens or those weekends. I'm not sure which weekend this is. So, days later, probably the weekend, we are at Daytona Speedway. And the first person we meet, or first new character we meet, I guess you'd say, at Daytona Speedway is El Lobo. That is the wolf. And that is explained to us in the comic. And he is thinking a lot. And we're not talking I have questions a lot. He is answering his own questions in this ridiculous amount of thought bubbles. Again, more writing in his comic probably than in uh i'm trying to think of one that i covered here that was pretty modern if you're a patreon supporter you heard the cinderella serial killer princess one i say this uh, you take any three pages out of this comic and there's more text in this than there was in that one and again not saying it's good or bad just a different type of storytelling but it's really standing out in this comic so anyway el lobo is thinking a lot and in mid-thought he finds a bomb taped to a gas drum by a green-masked assailant muttering, Hail Hydra, as he creeps away. That's true. I didn't make that up. That's actually in this. And that's exactly how it reads. So after recognizing this bomb, the le- the wolf, <laughs> I said almost said the leap, the wolf leaps over a steel wall five yards away, moments before the bomb goes kablam. And all those words are out of the comic itself. They note it was five yards away, and the explosion does indeed go kablam. Meanwhile, in the city's best hotel, again, their words, I don't know if it's the green masked man or another green masked man would be assassin is sneaking up on another target. And this character is former CIA, I almost got that out, former CIA agent James McDonald. The assassin's mode of assassination or attempted assassination is to throw a knife at him, which McDonald instinctively dodges. And when McDonald turns to see who it was, the green assailant is gone. 
It probably muttered Hill Hydra on the way out. And let's see, well, he failed. Maybe he didn't. And he also turns back to the door to see there happens to be a note left on there. Not a note on the knife. It is a note and the knife, two separate events. But McDonald wonders if they are related. But we don't find out because now we go somewhere else. And this time, I guess it's not important because they don't say where it is. But in this locale, wherever this is, there is a red-headed motorcycle enthusiast. And I don't mean the red suit that, we're talking, that I described earlier. This guy is, he's a redhead. It is... One again, a 1980s comic, bold colors. Dude's hair color is pretty bold in these panels. So, guys, writing, he stops. He looks at his rearview mirror, and just at the moment that he stopped, here is a green masked would-be assassin once again sneaking up on him. And before he can actually do anything, like throw a knife or maybe they should try guns if they want these guys dead. But the the redheaded motorcycle rider leaps on his motorcycle and zips away and loses the mass assailant. And he drives to this location that a note that he had read off page had told him to go. It's this mysterious note, presumably the same one McDonald had read. Well, we'll get that answer very shortly. The note said specifically that he will find answers at Schiffman's garage, and that is where he is. So he now we're following the redhead guy again. He enters the garage, and as he goes in, he immediately runs into El Lobo, the wolf. Again, we're using both titles, or both languages for the title every time we introduce this character. We learn that the redhead goes by the name Are You Ready? And I got to spell this out. Capital R space capital U space R E D D Y. And he's an old rock and roll star. That's forgotten his real name. Yeah. I'm not going to elaborate on it. Soon after James McDonald, that former CIA agent, he arrives and he's carrying the same note. And this time we actually get to see the note and see what it reads. And the note says, all you share a common destiny. All of you are linked. All of you can triumph as one, or each of you can fail alone. Die alone, hope dies with you. If you win, I can win. If I win, hope lives on for all. For America. Who will stand for America? The race awaits. Signed, Marauder. So, all three. Now, let's recap what we're talking about. We're talking about Are You Ready? El Lobo, The Wolf, and uh, McDonald. James McDonald. I can think of his name. Former CIA agent, James McDonald. I don't know if that's important to say, everyone. We're just going to call him from McDonald from now on until he gets a new name. So the three decide to join together and form a team, and they just start beginning begin to build racing bikes right there in this garage where this mysterious note signed by a man, a faceless man, had led them to. You know, naturally, it's like it's a Wednesday. So now we get to the day of the race and Darwin, remember him, the bad guy from, was it Universal Technologies? Darwin has his operatives infiltrating the winner circle and they're preparing to grab Kuramoto and his motorcycle. So with that set up, we now shift over to the pits and the wolf, El Lobo. Oh, that's backwards. I remember El Lobo, the wolf. McDonald and Are You Ready are suited up for the race, and now they are wearing their red, white, and blue racing leathers. So let's take a quick minute here to uh, point out who's in what. We got El Lobo, the wolf, in blue, McDonald in white, and Are You Ready, the redhead, in red. And now it really stands out how red 
his hair is in this comic because they didn't even bother to try to make like a ginger color. They just went with the same red. His hair and his suit match. So a little bit on the nose there on that one. Now, I'm not entirely sure what kind of race this is, but I get the feeling it's kind of it's a relay race of motorcycles, much like a running race, because they're in the same race, but they're not all racing at the same time because McDonald actually starts. And once he does his whatever, it's at least a lap because he has to get back to the pits, a lap or a couple laps or whatever it was. Once he comes back, are you ready comes up and he does his whatever lap. Well, obviously it's laps. I just don't know how many it is. And then from there, Wolf is the uh, anchor, I think is the term. Well, he's a, he's a finisher of the race. He's the last one. He takes the last laps and Wolf is in the lead. He is winning it for team America. If they've actually named themselves yet, but we know the title cover. So why, why not? Let's make that jump to conclude or uh, yeah, logical conclusion. And, but he's Wolf is in the lead, but all of a sudden a Japanese rider passes him. And now Wolf just lays into that motorcycle, pushing it way past its limits. But El Lobo, the Wolf regains the lead and he wins the race. And it's at this point that we're reminded that the Hydra operatives are there with the instructions to seize the winner of the race. And they do. They grab the wolf, which to which he exclaims a mighty, I caramba. But in this melee, the wolf realizes that it's Kuramoto that they're really after. And the wolf, the, uh, the wolf, the wolf <laughs> urges him to run while the operatives are still a little bit confused. As they run, and as Stanley as my witness, there is a helicopter a tank, and a blimp all in pursuit. And lo and behold, there's Green Mask Assassin taking shots at Korimoto from, I was going to say, from all these things and from elsewhere. So now jumping over to Team America, there are two tanks, a helicopter, and a blimp in pursuit of Team America. Hydra has got a budget unlike anything else I've ever seen. They make Apple look like a lemonade stand. One of the blimps hovers over Kuramoto and activates the vortex beam, and this begins to lift the track off the ground with Kuramoto and his motorcycle on it. In another physics-defying maneuver, Are You Ready jumps his motorcycle onto the floating piece of track, and the two men and their motorcycles are both brought onto the blimp. Seconds later, the blimp explodes and crashes to the ground, and as, as the skin of the blimp burns away, we see the mysterious marauder, the motorcycler in black, taking on every single Hydra henchman, I guess they are. The guys in black, there's like a dozen guys in black in the frame of this blimp, and the, the mysterious marauder is wiping the floor with these guys. So the marauder does this long enough for Korimoto to get away back on the Team America end of things, Darwin arrives, and he's got an assault rifle in his hands. He takes aim, tries to get anyone in Team America in his sight. But Team America, according to the comic, is too fast, too strong, and too quick. And the wolf tackles Darwin to the ground. Darwin, seemingly captured, activates his cyanide tooth and dies right there on the spot. In the chaos, Kurimoto's bike gets trashed, but not the guidance system. And this is what is the super secret part of this bike and what Hydra was after all along. So chances are not the last time we're going to hear about this, assuming you read past issue one. 
Well, let's not forget now that Team America won the race, so they head back to the winner's circle. But before they get there, there's one thing that I'm sorry, McDonald and Wolf need to know from Are You Ready? And that is, where was he when the Marauder appeared inside the blimp? Uh, Are You Ready explains that he was knocked out cold as soon as he got on board and he missed everything that happened on the blimp. Wolf doesn't believe him, but McDonald does for some reason. Whatever and whoever the Marauder is, as a word I am struggling to get through this episode, whoever the Marauder is, they want to know what he's all about. But for now, it's time to pick up their first place trophy in the winner's circle, and they do, and we're left with the words, next issue, Fear and Loathing in Montana. But not for me, but we'll get to that. Let's get to the notes. So let me flip all the way way back to page four. Let me talk about this jump. If you've forgotten about this already, this is the first death defying or no physics defying jump. And this is by the Marauder. So he jumps over police cars that have cut him off at the past. Now it starts off. Okay. He pops a wheelie. So you see the front wheel hit the, the hood of the car, but if you follow and you're meant to follow this because that's how it's drawn. You see kind of a ghostly image of where he starts and a ghostly image of where he ends and kind of a smoke trail in between there. He there's with no ramp, no geometrical way to do that. It's like the wheel from that point of the wheel hitting the front of that trunk. It just flies off. Now, if they had this trail kind of go up on the hood and then use the windshield as a ramp, maybe, but it doesn't, it just, it's so it actually, it, it, I don't even. It, it was weird because the front wheel definitely they have like an impact mark of where it hits, but it kind of reminds me of the old Knight Rider thing where you hit the turbo boost and Kit jumped straight off the ground. Well, not yeah, straight off the ground, not straight up, but straight off the ground and over something with no ramp. So that's where the comment physics defying comes from. Now maybe not a detail I'd necessarily notice if I wasn't reading this panel by, by panel to review. I think my favorite bit of writing in all the writing that's in here, and I don't mean the story writing, I mean the text that's in this thing. There's a ton of text in this comic, but my favorite line of text is got to be these five words, and it's when El Lobo is thinking to himself, and he says, I, El Lobo, the wolf, and then continues from there. That's of all the words in here, of which there are many. Those are my favorite combination of words in this entire a comic uh, paging on we get to the note the note i just that was uh, <laughs> that was a hard one to read because i'm not sure what inflection any of this is in because it's it's such a odd uh use of I, I, it's supposed to be mysterious obviously so i hope i uh i was gonna say i hope it made sense when i read it but i'm not entirely sure it's meant to make sense it's an interesting, uh, I, I almost wonder if it would be better that we didn't see the exact note and just talked about it and alluded to what the note was talking about to get a res- to our resolution. But I haven't read the eleven other 11 comics, so I don't know that they don't talk about it or know that it's even possible. And I'm not going to find out. And my last specifically pointed out note, although there might be a couple more things to write down here, was the in the final battle when the, uh, the Hydra assassins and thugs are chasing Team America. Are you ready? Says a very dated line, which is was quite quite uh, timely for 1982. But he says, "Oh boy, this is more fun than playing Space Invaders." So there you go. This is an 80s comic beginning to end. And the one thing I didn't mention, now that I say 80s comic beginning to end, and, and you probably already made this uh, 
I, I thought of this idea yourself, but I wanted to say it in the, when I was talking about the cover. Their outfits are very evil Knievel. I mean, you if if you didn't pick this up thinking it was a GI Joe comic because it looked like Snake Eyes, you might have accidentally picked it up because you thought it was a evil Knievel comic. If you don't know who evil Knievel is because you're considerably longer younger than me. Look it up. You're not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to say that his gig, his act isn't timeless, but the man himself was fascinating. I think him as a personality is timeless. All right. So let's get to the rating. Uh, crummy to classic. I'm actually going to say that this is interesting, sort of. So that brings it to the lower middle of the scale. It's not crummy, but it's not too much higher than that that last little bit of are you ready seemingly not being the marauder but he was knocked out so does he have a split personality does he not know he's the marauder that was kind of interesting but not enough for me to seek out the other 11 issues and find out this is going to be one of those mysteries that remains unsolved and that's okay with me the comic all together has some ups and downs the 80 it's i mean the art it's the 80s it's 80s art. It's wasn't a high profile comic, so I don't, don't think a super attention to detail. I don't. It wasn't meant as a, a big uh, marketing piece. I don't think it's an origin story, and for an origin story, it's not all that good. But it was fun to read. But it's fun to read 30 years later. Would it have been as fun if I bought it off the shelves in 1982? Probably not. And with that. That is it for this episode. So I hope at least you enjoyed the recap of it. Not one I'm going to suggest you go out and find. I think if you if you are curious of the pictures, you could probably type in Team America circa 1982, 1983 and get everything you need to envision what things look like and what happened in this comic and probably the whole series, honestly. There is a second episode coming in just a few days. That, of course, is exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And that episode is going to cover... Street Fighter X G.I. Joe number one. This is a Street Fighter versus G.I. Joe crossover. And well, I'll get into why I was very excited to talk about this in that episode. If you don't know about our Patreon campaign, it is the sole thing that keeps everything online at News as not only this show, but our entire run of shows and our entire back catalog of shows spanning back almost an entire decade now. If it wasn't for Patreon supporters, Anything that's available on Neo's as just would not be there. It's the only thing that keeps us going and keeps everything running online and keeps it available and free for everybody to enjoy. So if you want to learn more on how to support that, it's support starts at just a dollar a month. And we put out exclusive content, not only in Matt's crummy comic collections, but specials from other episodes and specials made specifically for Patreon as the least we can do to say thank you for your support. If you want to learn more, let me get to that. It's patreon.com slash Neo's we have our social media sites that go along with all our shows as well, and they all tie back to our Neozaz sites, and we are Neozaz Podcast on Facebook, and Neozaz on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, everything that we do is on Neozaz.com. So if you just happen to stumble on this particular episode of this particular series, go check it out. We cover a ton of things in pop culture. Chances are, if there's something in pop culture you're a big fan of, we may have a series of it. At the very least, we've done some kind of special or an episode focusing on it, so check us out at neozaz.com. That is it for this episode. I'll be back next month with a new episode of Matt's Crummy Comics Collection. Until then, thank you, of course, for listening, and I'll see you in that next episode.